Hello, I'm Jeff Ranke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. Whether it be the infamous Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack last summer or an ongoing number of water treatment facility hacks, there is no doubt that infrastructure facilities have become a favorite target of cyber criminals. In fact, according to a recent report from Skybox Security, the first half of 2021 saw a 46% year-over-year increase in new OT vulnerabilities within organizations charged with running and maintaining key portions of the U.S. infrastructure. Joining us today to help break down some of the social and market factors driving these troubling cybersecurity dynamics is Alistair Williams. He's the Director of Solutions Engineering at Skybox Security. Alistair, thanks so much for joining us today. Jumping right into things, your report showed just an increasing number of OT vulnerabilities with a lot of U.S. infrastructure entities. What's with these guys? Why are they having such a tough time really continuing to upgrade and have the right cybersecurity tools in place that they so desperately need right now? That's right, Jeff. Our Skybox Security 2021 research found that 83% of critical infrastructure organizations suffered breaches in a 36-month period. The research also uncovered that organizations underestimate the risk of cyber attack, with 73% of CIOs and CISOs highly confident that their organizations will not suffer an OT breach in the next year. These two data points really contradict one another perhaps showing an overconfidence in their existing security capabilities and their willingness to accept that more investment in security needs to be made. So really, they're not making the investments because they think they're good the way it is right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, despite the criticality of these facilities, the security measures in place on OT products are often weak or non-existent. If you look at how we kind of got here, most OT assets were really not meant to connect to anything in the first place. And instead they were often air gapped, meaning that they were physically isolated from non-secure networks. And really there was no provision to, to update or upgrade them on an ongoing basis. So in a similar dynamic, but also a little bit different, you mentioned uh, a lot of the different equipment that was never meant to be connected in this, this manner. The industrial sector is also a huge target right now for a lot of bad actors in the cybersecurity space. Is it a similar dynamic there in terms of these organizations not having the right cybersecurity tools in place? Absolutely. And I think if you look at the backdrop here, you know, critical infrastructure is not only a lucrative target for bad actors, but it's also a prime target for nation uh, state sponsored cyber attacks. You know, we've seen a number of examples over the last you know, number of months with you know, major gas pipelines, multiple government agencies, the US cities water supply, multiple hospitals, and the world's largest meat producing plants, all um, seeing an uh, evidence of a surge in OT attacks. So, Alistair, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about Skybox Securities and, and the work that you guys do, maybe some of the folks that you've worked with in the past. So, Skybox Security is focused on providing proactive security posture management, um, which means that we're preventing security breaches before they ever happen. We delivered the most advanced exposure analysis, risk scoring, automation, and vulnerability management capabilities in the cybersecurity industry. And we do this for our customer base comprising uh, predominantly of Fortune 500, Global 500, as well as government agencies. So, you know, often we find that organizations have invested in 
you know, centralized network configuration management technologies. Um, perhaps they've made investments in patch management solutions. Maybe they've made investments in, you know, traditional network vulnerability scanning. But often those, those data sources tend to be siloed from one another. And actually, when you start having a conversation with, you know, the technical teams, the solutions architects, the security architects, the cloud architects, the you know, people responsible for OT security, we can really demonstrate that we help them bring that information together in such a way that they can make much better informed decisions, but importantly, be able to, um, you know, take action. You know, we're talking about organizations that only have finite resources. There's absolutely a, a skills shortage in the, the security industry. And a solution like ours helps organizations focus on, you know, the real key risks within their organization, but then provide a series of, of different remediation options and countermeasures. So, Alistair, jumping back into some of the current issues that the industrial and infrastructure um, industries are dealing with right now, Log4j hit really hard in December. It kind of had everybody freaking out. Um, it seems like that has calmed down a little bit. They've gotten a hold of, of some of the gaps and some of the issues that were, that were being created. But what could you tell us now in terms of what you saw, in terms of what was happening, what has been done to sort of control the issue? And do you have any advice for those um, watching who may have experienced um, the Log4j issue and what they can do moving forward? You know, for, for a widespread vulnerability such as Log4j, you know, patching all of the vulnerability instances is just hugely time consuming. Yeah. Um, and not only is it time consuming, it's hugely costly as well. But, you know, along with that, history shows that, you know, the patch everything strategy is just a, a monumental waste of, of effort since typically it's really a, a very small subset of devices that are actually exposed. Uh, to the attack itself. So, you know, what Skybox is, is really seeing is, you know, yes, you need to identify those devices that need to be patched immediately because they are, you know, directly exposed to one or more threat actors, or perhaps they are on a second step of an attack chain. Okay. But, you know, it's, it's then about understanding where you have other occurrences of that vulnerability that you can look to put in place, you know, a a mid-term plan of how you would go about addressing that as, as part of a, a more BAU type um, patching strategy. The other thing, sorry, go on. No, no, continue, please. I, I was just gonna say, so the other thing would be, you know, really focusing on other remediation options as well, which I sort of mentioned before more generally, you know, there are mitigation options that can be applied to, um, you know, the vulnerable library, um, you know, through configuration changes. Um, obviously, there are other mitigations in the form of things like intrusion prevention. We talked a little bit earlier about, you know, network segmentation. So it's really about identifying which remediation options are best suited to the different occurrences of that vulnerability within the organization. You know, when the vulnerability was first announced, it was very challenging for, you know, organizations to understand where those vulnerable applications were. You know, many organizations have kind of deployed traditional network vulnerability scanning from the perspective of wanting to scan each asset once per month on kind of a rolling schedule, right? If they've got 30,000 machines, they will plan to scan 1,000 of them per day. 
um, so that end, at the end of the cycle, they repeat the process, right? So they will have consequently deployed the, the associated number of scanners in the right places. When something like Log4j happens, you know, the business, the, the senior management want to understand in the, a matter of minutes where and how big this, this problem is. And it's impractical to go from scanning a thousand devices a day to then suddenly scan, you know, 30,000 devices overnight. So I think that's where also alternative discovery mechanisms need to come into play with things like, you know, passive vulnerability scanning. And the other thing I would say as well that we've seen is, you know, a lot of the traditional network vulnerability scanners are looking for the existence of that particular library of a particular version. But one of the things that, that we know, and actually, um, you know, we've seen organizations or, or vendors do is to provide mitigation by way of a configuration change, right? So the, the version of the vulnerable library remains the same, but it's not um, exploitable in the same way because of this configuration change. And what we've seen is the network vulnerability scanners can't take that mitigation into account. So when you scan your infrastructure, it's coming back and saying, hey, you've still got, you know, you know, 10, 20, 50 occurrences of that vulnerability. But the reality is, is that you probably address one or more of those through configuration mitigations. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this continues to develop and evolve and the solutions that those infected will, uh, will have to come up with and, and deal with. Looking at another sort of ongoing um, problem situation when it comes to cybersecurity, especially in the man U.S. manufacturing sector, is ransomware. Uh, we've seen a number of different instances. You, you brought up the meat packager, the meat producer. We've seen it with Colonial Pipeline, a bunch of other folks, too. What's your take when it comes to ransomware? Do you pay them? Do you, do you not pay them? What's your take there? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. <laughs> Probably the $64,000 question. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think my perspective is, you know, take on board the, the government and industry guidance, right? Um, you know, federal agencies, including the FBI, FBI, largely discourage organizations from paying ransoms. You know, it doesn't guarantee the retrieval of the data. It further funds and encourages ransomware groups from continuing their, their attacks. You know, similarly, cybersecurity professionals have seen, you know, paying ransoms is just just not the best approach. It, it gives the adversaries, you know, more monetary incentives to to continue doing what what it is that they're doing. Um, you know, I think the best thing is, you know, be as prepared as you can, right? You know, invest in the tool sets that you know give you that some of that raw underlying data. Absolutely. So again, looking forward here, we've talked about log4j, we're talking about ransomware. Overall, as we're you know we're early here in 2022, looking out for the rest of the year, what do you see will continue to be some of the bigger trends when it comes to cybersecurity? So I think ransomware will continue to, to skyrocket as you know digital transformation expands the attack surface. Um, you know critical uh, infrastructure will continue to be sort of in in the crosshairs. Um, you know we're seeing new vulnerabilities, you know, many more new vulnerabilities than, than we have in, in previous teams. Um, you know, our research team tells me, and I was speaking with them the other day, you know, we see ransomware everywhere, you know, increasing in severity, cyber attacks have evolved from only encrypting kind of an individual workstation or system down to, you know, large chunks of the network. 
but also exfiltrating data as well. So now it's not just a case of let's encrypt the data and, and want the ransom. It's let's encrypt the data, you know, make the ransom demand. But at the same time, we're going to, you know, steal a whole bunch of your data and use that for, for other purposes <laughs> yeah. as well. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a double, double whammy in that, that regard. For example, our February 2021 research revealed that there was a 106% uh, year over year inc increase in ransomware from 2019 to 2020. Um, you know, what's more, as digital transformations continue and the traditional verticals, for example, civil infrastructure shift from air gap to connected, we're going to continue to see an increase in attacks, not just against the traditional digital networks, but also on OT infrastructure from supply chains to healthcare and the facilities beyond. You know, I think the adversaries aren't constrained by, you know, many of the constraints that we have in, in, in industry, right? They don't have to demonstrate ROIs. They don't have to write business cases. Um, you know, they're free to do what they want in a very agile way. They can learn from their mistakes. They can, you know, pivot almost on the spot and, you know, change their direction entirely almost overnight. And I think that is very much going to keep, you know, not just organizations on their toes, but also, you know, the security vendors such as Skybox to, to ensure that we continue to provide, you know, our customers and, and businesses with the level of protection that they deserve. Thanks again to Alistair Williams for joining us today. To learn more about the company and what they do, you can go to skyboxsecurity.com. Thanks for joining us today. And I'd encourage you to check out previous episodes of Security Breach, where we looked at a variety of other industrial cybersecurity concerns. I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.